0: Hey, welcome to Stories I Didn't Tell last Sunday. I'm Doug McAllister, along with Pastor Ken Mott, and this is The Journey Podcast, and today we're gonna to be talking about short-term mission trips. And Ken, over the years, we've done quite a few. Got any idea how many yeah, have you been on? Yeah,
1: we counted it, I think it was a little over 50. In the last 25 years. Man,
0: so that's about two a year, you know, ranging from Mexico to China and everywhere in between. Right, right. yeah, Yeah.
1: Australia, Nicaragua, South America, Central America, yeah, just everywhere, Europe, yeah.
0: Right, and I I think the power behind a short-term trip is not only what ministry you get to do while you're there, but it's what God does in you. Yeah, I think while you're serving. Yeah.
1: yeah, you always come back and you question, was did I do more or was more done in me than yeah. uh, I, you know, I actually participated in?
0: Yeah, and it's so true. And, you know, I, I really what I love about the design of short term trips is usually a group of about 12 to 15 and it's made up of journey church members who pay their own way.
1: Right. Yeah. So we ask them to, you know, count that cost to come up with the money, however they want to do it. And for most of them, you know, they work extra jobs or they, you know, kind of write letters to their friends and family and they yeah. say, hey, will you help sponsor me? But yeah, so it really helps them to kind of gain an understanding of what it really, what it really takes to kind of reach the world, uh, time, effort, you know, money, all those types of things. Yeah,
0: and that may be one of the, the intangibles that you really can't put value on is it gives you a firsthand experience of what it costs to bring the gospel to the world. Yeah. You
1: know? yeah, I know. Yeah, th- I think you know when we th- when we talk about missions, you know, we have, at the church we have an overall umbrella idea of what missions is is to fulfill, you know, the great commandment to, right. to go out into all the world. Right. And so the, how how do we do that? Uh, does that mean everybody leaves their house and becomes a missionary? You remember Keith Green back yeah. in the day? Keith Green says, "If yeah. God doesn't tell you to stay, you you're supposed go. <laughs> to go." Yeah, it was kind yeah. of a heavy handed yeah. way to tell people to go out and to make disciples. Um, But you do have to wrestle. What does it really mean to go out into all the world, and what does that mean for each individual?
0: Yeah, Yeah. and I think you're right. The Great Commission is just such a central part of the mission of the church. It's called the Great Commission for a reason, because it's literally the last thing Jesus said in the gospel. Take this message to every nation of the world. That's quite an assignment that that he left for 11 people to do. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) that's pretty big deal, man. Hey, hey, you eleven guys go to 195 nations and get on it.
1: Yeah. And I, and I think for, and and as disciples, as we wrestle with that, we have to ask ourselves the question. So do I become a full-time missionary? Do I really just pack my bags and my family and do I go to Africa or do I go wherever? Uh, But you know, when I, when I, you read the scriptures, you see that not everybody's called to do the same thing. Some people are called to go out. I, I, in Acts 13, I think about when the elders there in the church were praying and there were prophets and there were evangelists, there's pastors, there's just, you know, just disciples. And God says, okay, now set apart Paul and Barnabas. Right.
0: And Antioch became, you know, the first sending church with Paul being the primary person, you know, and he went to not only across Asia Minor, but he went into, you know, as far as uh, Eastern Europe, and maybe some say even deeper. You know, we know the gospel went into Africa, so they that generation took the gospel to their world. Right. You know, mostly on foot, back and by boat and horseback, but yeah. they went. No,
1: totally. Yeah, yeah. and and that was a great thing. And and you see that they had different assignments. So Paul and Barnabas, they literally packed their bags and went. They did. Where Peter. He yeah. stayed in Jerusalem. He did. He still had the same calling, reached the world, right. but that calling manifests itself in different ways. Right. Um, and so I think when we, you know, you kind of have this overall view of what missions is and how do we do that and how do we get people in their place, I think short term missions becomes one of those very focal places yeah. to to help in that whole process. And
0: you know, we should probably acknowledge the criticism of short-term missions work. A lot of our contemporary says it's a waste of time and resources and you're not really leaving an impact. And their argument has some truth to it, but I don't know if you've ever really wasted resources if you're bringing the gospel to people who've never heard it or to people who need uh, some encouragement in foreign countries. So I've kind of discounted the arguments over the years because I, we've seen real world value. You know, I can think of, you know, dozens, if not maybe a hundred or hundreds of people at Journey over the years, uh, you know, business owners, stay at home moms, school teachers, nurses, doctors who've gone with us, who've who've come back, you know, with a fresh passion for the great commission. So man, that's a, that's a win, no matter how you, how much it costs.
1: Yeah. I think if you, I, I, and I understand the criticism also. If you just boil it down to a monetary thing, right. is it better to send money or send people because of the cost that it takes to get a person from one place to the other? Yeah, I get that if we're going to boil it all down to monetary issues. Right. But this is bigger than just money. Yeah, it's I bigger agree. than just resource, it's resources. Yeah. This is about... What it will do in a person, so if we did boil it down to missions, I mean I mean we know a gentleman from our church that went on a missions trip, and his life was so dramatically affected by it that he 's given literally tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars to missions because yeah. of that trip, and yeah. he would have never given that much if he didn't take just a simple trip to a third world country yeah. and, and gain the exposure yeah. the perspective. Yeah. relationships, all those the intangibles that you can't even begin to yeah. um, really uh, put a monetary value upon, and yet it touched that person's heart so deeply yeah. that now they're sold out for missions. Yeah. But from the, again, from their perspective, he didn't go to live in a third world country, but now he just gives over and over and over in right. the ministry. And if you
0: take the 53 trip we've been on... And the average trip had fifteen people on it. You're talking about seven hundred people oh, yeah. who had exposure to uh, you know, real world missions work, sleeping, eating, living, immersed in the culture for ten days, you know, it, it, it leaves a deep impact. You come back broken. For the, for the Great Commission, a heart that's broken for what God's doing, and you come back with a real world experience of what it means, you know, to live, you know, usually in a third world country, which is a eye opening experience. It yeah. opens your eyes to how most of the world lives.
1: Yeah. I think for most of us, you know, and if we were going to be truthful for those of us that have been outside you know the, the four walls of our nation, yeah um, because we are so blessed because we don't even realize how blessed this nation really is, yeah um, I mean, you can see it on TV, you can see the pictures on the internet, but until you go there and see it with your own eyes, smell the smells, you, you yeah. know what I'm saying get mm-hmm. see just get immersed in the culture um. You really are limited in your perspective. You just, you you, We just are. Yeah. Uh, and so I think the biggest part of the short-term missions is to really just to kind of blow their mind yeah. on what it was really going to mean to reach the world, what it's going to take to reach the world, yeah. and the heart that we're going to have to have. Yeah. Uh, that will be in this for the long term.
0: Yeah, and you know, in our fellowship, uh, in the Assemblies of God, we have about two thousand full-time missionaries. I think they're we're on every continent, nearly in every nation yeah. right now. Yeah. You know, and. You know, that's the biggest part of our international budget is missions. You know, we have a billion-dollar missions budget. It costs a lot. Uh, somebody said a long time ago that the gospel is free, but ministry is very, very expensive. You know, to take a family and move them to a foreign country, learn the language. Uh, immersed himself in the culture and spent a lifetime there is an expensive operation, you know? Uh, and I think, you know, when we consider all these 2000 missionaries, when you give a local church a taste of what those people live out every day, it really creates a kindred. Yeah, it does. They understand yeah. right a lot better. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think because of all that, those 2000 different people, we have such a unique, um, network of yeah. individuals that we can be in relationship with yeah i mean mo- most all of our trips are revolve around one of those missionaries that we exactly. partner with them what are yeah. they doing they're on the ground yeah. they're seeing the need they're in it firsthand and we say hey how can we come along partner with you bring folks help minister build relationships uh, and, and so to, for 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 us, I think that just has worked so well throughout the years to be able to partner with full-time missionaries.
0: And, you know, before uh, before we planned a journey, Rachel and I uh, were associate pastors for about 10 years, and one of our assignments, and when you're an associate pastor, you do everything the pastor needs, but one of our assignments was we led the summer outreaches, and we did trips, you know, so I think she and I led about a dozen or two, I, I lost count, it was a lot, 20 or so uh, foreign trips that we did over the 10 years, you know, and I know what it did for me as a pastor, even though I'll probably never be a missionary or live in a foreign country full time, it really created empathy in my heart for the people who do it. Yeah. And it really also broke my heart for those that we're trying to reach. You know, uh, In a minute, I want us to tell some stories about some of our own personal experiences um, on the trip. So I know you got a you got a dozen or so to tell. Yeah, but I yeah, got a few I want to tell. But uh, you want to say something? No, no, go ahead. Uh, yeah. Well, what I was want to open with was this story. You know, it was on one of those trips that the Lord called us to plant Journey. We were in Amsterdam and we were leading an outreach with about, about a dozen or so people from our church. And we were doing street ministry in the red light district. And, you know, it's quite like um, Bourbon Street in New Orleans, except everything is legal everything is promoted and it is you know it is probably you know um the most decadent uh, experience I've ever had. Uh, it was so bad that our we had to tell our guys don't look in this direction because right. it was you know it was it was nudity it was it was a, a flaunting sexual acts it was I mean it was everything that you could ma- imagine and then some. Uh, so it was a brutal outreach on the spirit because there was so much darkness and so much pain. So one night we came back to the hostel we were we were living in uh, and YWAM uh, had had a base there. Youth with a the mission. Right. They had a base in Amsterdam. And they they still may have it there, but we stayed in their, in their base. And we was on like the uh, seventh or eighth floor. And, uh, it was very basic, you know, it was concrete floors and, you know, it was very simple. Uh, so we're sitting there that night and Rachel and I were just exhausted from the day and, you know, a lot of spiritual warfare, a lot of, you know, uh, team conflicts and we were just worn out. So we're sitting there and I looked at Rachel and something had been stirring in my heart that whole trip. And I said, I don't know how to say this, but I really think God's telling me that we're going to do something different. And she said, I think we are too. And that was the the seed that became the church plan. And it happened on that mission field while we were in the middle of the war zone, you know, so what God does in us on those trips, you know, I think the fruit of it, you know, is immeasurable because it, it... it begins to ripple for a generation, you know. Yeah. So you have a story you want to Well, I, I think,
1: um, yeah, and it's not necessarily maybe about me, but we um, we partnered with a ministry that was in Brazil. And um, as we went down to the Amazon, so if you ever want to do a trip, you know, when you think of missions, you think, you know, the rainforest, you think of, you know, people living in the middle of nowhere. That may be the cutting-edge yeah. yeah. outreach ever. It was- yeah, it's just that really kind yeah. of traditional. You know, the missions, short-term missions. You know, we're going to go to the Atlanta Dream Center this year again, and we've been doing that right. for quite a few years. This is we're six gonna, years, I think. Yeah, we're going to yeah. be out there on the streets. We're going to be helping the homeless people. Right. You know, in sex trafficking, trying to pull people off the streets, out of addictions, those things. So there's there's just so many different forms of short-term missions that we have yeah. done and are still doing. But this one to Brazil is very unique because you go into the Amazon, you travel by boat, you know, I don't know, 14, 20 hours deep on the Amazon into the rainforest. You come upon these communities that have been there for, you know, 100 years or so, and they're communities of a couple hundred, 300, 400 people. And then we literally build a building in about a week's time, maybe 10 days, uh, a pavilion type thing for they for, so they could have church. Anyway, um it's just so interesting because so we took that trip for the first time, and uh, me and only two of us had ever been on a trip, a missions trip before. Me and another gentleman, and so we yeah. go there, and we had brought ten other guys with us. Yeah. But what it did in two of those guys' hearts w- was just fascinating, because yeah. they have led that trip every year for eleven years. Mm-hmm. Of course, until COVID kind of interrupted because right. of you know we can't right. get to Brazil now. Um, but for eleven years we've been building a church. Every uh, once a year we go and build a church. And just the impact that it had in those lives, and like you said, when you dedicate yourself uh, to an idea that God, you're going to use me like you've never used me before. Yeah, you're going to. Uh, I'm going to trust you like I've never trusted before. All those things, and I, you know, you get teared up about it because yeah. the effect that it has on people's lives. But yeah, uh, so so in these two guys' lives, in particular. They say that for them, it's the highlight of their year. Uh, They never trust God so much as they do on that trip. They've never heard from God so much as they do on that trip. They never help as many people as they do. And so these guys are in relationship with... The boat workers and uh, the, the, some of the people that are on the ground, you know, you get internet anywhere, even out in the middle of the Amazon, you can get internet. It's amazing. Uh, That's crazy. But, you know, they talk to each other on Facebook. They've built these uniquely rela- unique relationships that have lasted for a decade or so. Yeah. And, and it just, again, it just shows that if you will set yourself apart and say, okay, God, I will do this for you. But in the midst of it, please speak to my life. Yeah. God seems to do that. At those times, greater than he ever does any other times of our life. So, so it's it's you're right. It's just it's just very unique and it's very amazing.
0: It's transformational, you know. And you're right. Once you're out there, and all of the comforts of life are gone, your family, your surroundings, your home, your job, and you're in a foreign country. You don't speak the language, and you you're there for one reason. That is to share Jesus with with people. It really creates an opportunity for the Holy Spirit to do something right. in a person's life. It does, you know? and it's just remarkable of uh, the transformation that takes place on there. You know, we we went to Africa uh, a few years ago, and uh, I remember we, we, we took a, a boat trip on the Nile uh, on our on our um, off day uh, just to see the Nile River, and we passed by some of these villages, and the guide told us that these villages have been there for as long as human history is recorded thousands of years he said at least 5000 years they've been living on the shores of the Nile River you know and it's it's just amazing and many of those uh those tribes and people have never heard the gospel and there's missionaries who are moving there to live among them there's bible translators uh, not only just translating the Bible, but capturing their language to create a language to put the Bible in. Right. It is such an, an amazing enterprise uh, around the gospel. All these, these brilliant linguistic experts and these men and women who are called to be missionaries and doc- medical doctors and nurses and, and businessmen that have all one single purpose, to share the gospel of Jesus with people who never heard it. And today the mission field is bigger than it's ever been yeah. you know the last estimate i heard is two billion with the b two billion people who've never heard the gospel and most of those people live in asia and africa in that what's called the 1040 window you know uh, the uh it had the map is divided with the latitude and longitude. Well, the, uh, latitude 10 to 40 is where that window of people live. And most of it's in Northern Africa and Asia, uh, and all the way into China, you know, and, uh, it's just incredible to me that there are that many people who've never heard the gospel, you know, and have never had the opportunity to make peace with God. And what this does, Wherever we wind up going as a church, it really burdens our heart for for those who never heard right, and those who don't know. Yeah.
1: And then even in the midst of those places where you think there is a gospel presence, there's still people that have never heard. Yeah. Uh, you know, there people are being born every day, obviously, yeah. and they are growing up. And sometimes, you know, the church is extremely effective in those areas and they are sharing the gospel. And But right. sometimes... There are people that they live so remotely that it just has not. It does. Yeah. It gets overlooked, or it just doesn't, you know, become yeah. part of their experience. And so, yeah. So, of course, the 10:40 window is that that area that we all concentrate on. Uh, I think most, you know, churches are concerned with. Uh, but you can't forget about your back door. You can't forget about the people in your own uh, neighborhood. I remember. Um, so this was 30 years ago. I was in Bible college, and we were just ministering on the streets of Minneapolis, and we are in this. Um, uh this area uh, i can't remember it was, well it was, it was a kind of a uh, it was a very low income. anyway it was just an area of of the city that was very neglected and we went in there and we started just doing some outreach to kids and we, we came across this kid he was probably 12 13 maybe 14 years old And we started telling him about jesus and it, it dawned upon us as we were talking to him, and the expression on his face is this kid has never heard about Jesus. Yeah. And so we asked them, because it was just outside of our, our our realm of understanding how can somebody live in America and not because we're inundated with the gospel? You can look it on the internet, you can go out TV, you know, there's a church on every corner, it seems like. Right. And yet this kid had never, ever heard the story about Jesus Christ, and he was like I said, 12, 13, 14 years old, other than in the curse word. That's the only way he even knew the name is it was a curse word right. that we used as a curse word. And it was like, for a minute, we were we were just kind of blown away. He's like, is this kid, is he being honest with us? Or But it came to be, he just had never heard the story yeah. of Jesus Christ, never yeah. knew. And they're in our backyard. And so, yeah, so this idea of, uh, you know, taking the gospel to those places that unheard—it's—it's—it's—you know—it's just everywhere. It's all yeah. around us. It's the world. It's yeah. constantly changing, growing. People are born, you know, live, die every single day, yeah. and this—I this 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 uh, push in our hearts to reach people—it's um, got to stay. It's got to stay on fire. It's got to stay there. you right uh, at all times.
0: And you know, take the gospel to the whole world, but you need to begin in Jerusalem. Yeah, you right. know, a great and place. you made a great point. Peter stayed in Jerusalem. Paul went to the world. And God has an assignment for everybody. Everybody has a part of the Great Commission. You know, some, some go, some give, some stay and build. All of us have a call right. to reach the nations, you know. Uh, we went into a neighborhood. We were in the, in the Dominican Republic. We, we, went, we went down there with some friends of ours who, are, who, were, who was building a church and we partnered and we journey raised money to help put uh, the second story on the church and it was going to be a food distribution center and a after school Uh, care for kids who didn't have anywhere to go after school so I it was it was a great trip man we raised all the money necessary to put the second story on the on the on the church and we, we got to witness the feeding program the kids came there for after school meals they had tutors for them they helped them get an education so they could qualify to go to college so they could get out of poverty because everybody everybody in the church lived in poverty and I don't mean Poverty, where they had a a house and a car and a, a pair of sneakers, and no, they lived literally in lean-tos made right. out of broken down wood and tin they found in the dump. So one of the neighbors, they built uh, one of the. We befriended one of the families at, at the school, and they wanted to bring me and the team that was with me to their house, and of course we we didn't we couldn't say no, so they brought us into their neighborhood and. It was a a neighborhood built on a dump. And there was, they estimate five or 600 families living there. I mean, it was, you know, it was was a lot of people, thousands of people there. And every house was built out of sticks and broken pieces of metal that they had just banded together, whatever they had. Uh, And the little boy that that hosted us brought us to his house. And uh, his grandma was cooking uh, dinner for them that night. And she had a one burner stove that was run off of a propane tank and it was the only place where the roof didn't leak over the stove where she could cook you know and they had one bed that they all shared and one one chair one chair you know and he was so proud to show us his house you know he was unaware of the poverty that he lived in uh but what gave him hope was the church there was going to help him get an education and go to college so he can buy his grandma a house you know, and to me, that's the hope of the gospel. It's not that people just get saved to go to heaven because that's the ultimate goal, but to help people change their life here on the earth, you know. So there was a sign written uh, in, the, in the local language over the neighborhood. Somebody did it by hand, and they named the neighborhood Get Out If You Can. Wow. Neighborhood. That's crazy. I know. So, and that's what he told us. He said, that's our goal. Everybody wants to get out. <laughs> you know, that's why he put this on. And he was as happy and as free as you could imagine anyone, you know. And I think, you know, that's what the gospel does. It frees the soul, man. It takes to shackles what poverty and disease and, you know, being abandoned does to a human soul. The gospel unlocks that chain and people can yeah. see that there is a way out. There's hope you know, and I don't know if we, you know, that one little building that we helped build did any good. I just know it transformed me forever, you know, to see firsthand how much hope that family found in the message of, of the gospel and in the local church.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think the, uh, the verse that says, um, uh, now these three remain faith, yeah. hope, and love. Yeah, And, uh, we were, um, so we were in in India. I, I got to go to India. I can't remember. It's quite a few years ago now um, with a pastor a friend that I had uh, been with in uh, Minnesota. Anyway, uh, he invited us to, and another guy to go. And uh, part of their ministry was digging the wells, yeah. fresh wells in India, different parts. They just they, they don't dig the wells deep enough. And so the water right. is still contaminated. It's highly fluoride. It's right to a point where it just hurts or just wrecks their intestines. And they have all kinds of issues. Anyway. So we're digging the, they were digging these wells, and we went to dedicate them, and then we got to preach yeah. at, at different times. And I remember a lady coming up. Um, so me and another guy were, are praying. For, uh, they, they basically do this. Um, they call them festivals, but basically yeah. they're crusades, and they would have, I don't know, anywhere from four to 6,000 people that come out. And they always started out by just saying, Jesus wants to just touch somebody's life. And if yeah. you need a touch in your life, you need a healing, you got to wow. do something, just stand up. And people, of course, you know everybody has a need. And so everybody stood up. And then um, uh, he's, we went out, uh, there was probably 30, 40, maybe 50 evangelist pastors, local people from India, and then the 10 of us from the States. And we just went down to the front and started praying for people. And I remember a lady came up with her son, and uh, he was deaf, born deaf. And uh, we just started praying for him. And, you know, God just opened that that young man's ears. And all of a sudden, wow. he's making all these expressions that he can hear and his, and his mom's talking to him and of course he doesn't understand, he's yeah. never heard language before wow. and she, he doesn't know but he's pointing at it and he's turning to us as we're all starting to talk and you can tell that all of a sudden and he's jumping up and down he's very excited, he's making all kinds of noise uh, but, but I think about the gospel um, and what the power of the gospel is that young man's life was changed. His mom's; yeah. she followed us around for the next three days, you right. know, just because there was a hope that she had found. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and that's what missions do. And, it, and it, that, so that, that story is dramatic, of course, obviously, uh, someone instantaneously healed. But so many times we have done just the small acts of love. Um, we do an eye clinic. So, yeah. we, you know, we have an eye chart. You can kind of, you can really kind of help someone to find out what their issue is with their eyes. In about ten minutes, and so we have a chart, and we bring hundreds of glasses, pairs of glasses. And I remember a little old lady; she's probably I forget what they said. She was well into her seventies, maybe eighty years old, and they, you know, she couldn't see very well. People kind of led her around by the hand, and we went through the simple eye test. And you know, we found a pair of glasses that fit her. And oh my gosh, (laughs) the expression on her face! You know, you know, God didn't instantaneously heal her, but somebody cared enough just to bring a pair of glasses that may fit her. And in a moment. Her life was, you know, revolutionized. All yeah. of a sudden, she has a pair of glasses. She doesn't need to be led by the hand. She was running around. She was looking at people and the light, you know, just everything. And It was just, again, it's just, it's just people loving people, yeah, caring for people, uh, but doing it in the name of Jesus, yeah. right? Yeah. Because he's going to, you know, the world does nice stuff all the time. At one level, we're we're yeah. we're, we're a society that wants to help people. But doing it in the name of Jesus, knowing that there's an eternal benefit, not just for the person that does it, but for the people that you're trying to help the people and showing them there is a a God that does love them and care. And so there's a purpose for the generosity, not just giving for giving's sake, but showing them that in the midst of giving, there is one that they can truly hold on to, Jesus Christ.
0: And I think that's probably a good story to um, illustrate that the church does so much good on the earth for absolutely no gain or recognition. Right. The hospitals that have been built. Schools. The yeah. schools that have been constructed, the neighborhoods. You know, yeah. when there's a when there's a, a, a natural disaster, the church is always the first one to respond, you know, and we've seen it around the world through our partnership with Convoy of Hope. Right, yeah. You know, and so many other, you know, Christ based organizations Who immediately respond even here in America you know recently there was a hurricane last year in Lake Charles and we went over a couple of times took a couple of teams but you know when I got there uh, just a few days after the the storm had gone through there were Christians men and women who have jobs and businesses who just came to Lake Charles and set up a tent and they were cutting down trees and helping people get their you know their uh, lives back in order and one story there and this happened you know just last year in in the U.S., we were responding to a storm, uh, and the pastor of the church and the team leaders assigned us to this street. And our job was to go and cut trees out of people's lawns and drag them to the street so people could get their yards back and their repair their home. So we were we were on tree detail. And you know me, I'm a really rugged outdoors <laughs> guy. You know, so I'm running chainsaws and we're we we're hauling you know hauling out logs. Uh, and, uh, we got to this next house and there was about maybe 30 houses on the street on both sides of the street. We get to this next house and we go knock on the door and it's a man probably in his mid seventies. He's in pretty good health and his wife, not too far behind, but she had just had a hip replacement. So she couldn't walk very good. We knock on the door and we said, Hey, we, we want to come help you clean your yard. And the old man was not a believer. And he said, Oh, Sonny, uh, my, me and Mama don't have any money," he said. "We can't, we can't hire anybody." And uh, I like being called Sonny because yeah, I'm almost yeah. sixty <laughs> myself. You know, Sonny, we can't help you. And I said, "Oh no, we don't want any money. We just come to clean your yard." Yeah. And he said, "Well, what's the catch?" You know, he's a seventy-five-year-old man. He's been taken advantage of a lot in his yeah. life. What's the catch? I said, "No catch." I said, "We're doing this as unto the Lord because Jesus wants you to know that He loves you." This old man started crying. So now I'm crying, you know, was like, I, he said, you can clean my yard and not charge me anything when you leave. I said, nothing. He said, okay, I can't turn that deal down. So me and five other guys got into his yard. He had two really big trees down and his shed was was a casualty. It was, it was busted in a million pieces. So we spent the rest of the day at his house. We, we, picked, we, cut, we cut up all the trees, picked up all the trash, cleaned his yard. And we got done. I went to sit, and this is after, you know, seven or eight hours of in the blistering hot sun. I went and sat on his porch with him, and, uh, and I said, hey, I just wanted to uh, let you know God loves you. And the church down the street is the one that sent us. And if you ever need help or need somebody to pray with you or, you know, spiritual guidance, I said, we want you to come to this church. And he, this is what he said. He said, I want you to know uh, right before you came, me and my, my wife, we prayed, Lord, we don't, we don't go to church, but if there's some way you can help us, because they don't have any kids, there's right. nobody, they didn't, they didn't have any insurance, if you can send somebody to help he said, you walked up on my porch, and he said, I know God sent you, because I had no way of cleaning my yard up, and so I said, hey, can we pray together before we go, so we had this, me and him and her got, she couldn't nail down because she's in a wheelchair. Me and him, me and him got on our knees and we prayed on, on the porch, you know, and there would never be a book written about that or a movie or there would never be any commentary of those millions of stories like that, right. that believers do in people's lives every day. But it's transformational. Ken, yeah. You know, not, not only did we clean their yard up, but I mean, it. I left there on a high man I was just like it was soaring just for the opportunity and there were teams and when we left the next day there were by then there were hundreds of people on every street yeah yeah definitely doing the same thing yeah that's the power of the church man the church right. is just, is a force for good on the planet with all of our faults cuz the church's fault has faults like everybody else because it's made up of human beings who are you know, who have wicked hearts, who who are being transformed. But the church collectively does more good than any institution I've ever seen in the world. And they do it for just for for God and for his glory.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And you're right. We're flawed individuals, and you know sometimes we bring those flaws show themselves out. Yeah. So sometimes I, I think it was was a Gandhi that said uh, that Jesus I like his, his disciples not so much. Yeah. You know, kind of That's paraphrasing God. what he said. Yeah. Um, but sometimes you do. We do. We have faults. Yeah. But even with those faults, you know, yeah. we're in this transformational process, like you just mentioned, where we we know that we are God's people, and because of that. Uh, we want to serve him, and we want yeah. to love him and do what he's called us to do. Uh, if, if anybody out there, if you've never been on a short-term missions trip, I think you know yeah. they are very transformational. Yeah. I think it's some of the unique things that we do on our trips or we try to do on every trip – uh, so we have the we have the the mission that we're going to do to help the missionary you know when we get on there we don't call the shots we just you know, we tell the pastor or the missionary or whoever they were right. we're just here to serve exactly. you tell us what you want us to do yeah. we we're, we're, we're humble we try to be humble and you know just say hey You, you, you are here. This is your, the people that God's called you to. So help us to minister to your people as best we can. But in the midst of that, we also know that we're uh, responsible for the people that are going over there. And so we want to bring them into a place of greater discipleship. So I know on the trips that I lead, um, I know the people that come with me are going to be challenged in, in certain ways. They're going to pray, uh, like they probably ne- you know have never prayed before. We're going to you know take the scriptures to heart. We're going to help them to be able to share their testimony. A lot of people have never shared a testimony. Yeah. They don't even know where to begin. What does that mean? Share my testimony? Right. Um, or I don't have a testimony. I was born in a Christian home, and yeah. you know I got saved when I was. You got you, everyone has a testimony. You just Absolutely. have to help them be able to tell it. Yeah. So we help them to write their testimony down and then they're going to share it on that trip somewhere, yeah. somehow, yeah. in some setting. Uh, some people are going to preach. Not everybody, you don't have to preach. Uh, Not everybody's there yet. Uh, but we are going to help them uh, write a devotional. Take yeah. a passage from God's word, be able to say, here's what it says. Here's yeah. what it says to me. And here's what I think it says to us. And how can we you know, put this into our life? And they'll do that at different settings. Yeah. Um, they're going to be challenged, uh, again, in so many different ways, they're probably going to eat stuff that they probably never ate before. Boy, that's the truth. <laughs> now it's going to be all safe. It's going to be fun. It's going to be safe. Yeah. It's going to be cooked. Yeah. You know, we're not going to drink the water. Usually, yeah. uh, we're going to have bottled. But you know, but yeah. we are going to be challenged outside of our comfort zones because. This world was not made to be lived in comfort. It was be, it was made to be lived in the obedience and the sacrifice of you know picking up our cross, carrying it daily, and walking yeah. in what God has called us to do. Yeah. Um, uh, we're going to help them to see and gain a bigger perspective than what they've ever experienced before. Yeah. And so, yeah, so you know, you come on a mission trip,
0: you,
1: you can expect to be changed. You yeah. can be expected, or you can expect to. See life differently than you've ever seen it before. Yeah, and
0: I think you're right. Uh, if you're watching and you're interested in a short-term trip, um, we are going to resume our short-term trips as soon as travel restrictions are lifted. Right. Uh, so we'll be making those decisions in the days to come, and we'll be talking about it, a journey, a lot in the in the days to come. You know, we have uh, we have a church planner in India. Uh, yeah. That we that we are partnering with and he's planted 15 churches, you know, we have a church planner in Argentina uh, You know, we have friends uh, all over uh, Europe and Asia and you know, into Africa. So, and we've been to most, I think we've been to every continent, you know, between me and you and all the teams that we've led, yeah. I think we're approaching 90 or maybe a hundred different trips. I've been in 30 different nations, or I think 36, Rachel I counted last night, 36 different countries, you know, and what it, what, what it does for us, it keeps the heartbeat of missions alive. And when we had our first Sunday service, our, our first, uh, service as a church when journey started in 96, we took that first offering up and we gave 25% of it to missions. That was the first thing we did. It was like, we wanted our church to be born with a giving heart to missions, you know? So we, we gave the first, I think it was more like 33% when we, when we finally figured it out, but we gave the first offering went to, to missions, you know, and because I know that's, Close to the heart of God, you know, right. uh, revelations, you know, and there stood a crowd too great to number from every tribe, every nation, every people, and every language. And they were all singing one song, Worthy is the Lamb. And I think that's God's vision for the world, is that everybody gets to hear the gospel. You mentioned food. Um, as we get ready to wrap it up here, what is some of the strangest food that you've ever had the um, pleasure to eat? Yeah. Anything?
1: Well, yes, yeah. Most of it I don't even know. You know, you don't know what it is. So uh, in Brazil, you know, we we you know you eat just about anything that's caught in the river. Uh, yeah. Piranha is actually a really good meat. I mean, it's a really have you good eaten fish. piranha? Oh yeah, many times. Oh my gosh, yeah, it's great.
0: That's like the ultimate revenge. Yeah. So <laughs> I had piranha.
1: so we went again. So we, so in China, uh, we've been to China now a few times. Um, I have some friends there, um, but usually he'll tell he said look i'm just not going to tell you what it is just go ahead and take a little bit of it. Don't yeah. ever take a lot because you never don't know what it's going to taste. But whatever you do take, make sure you try it. And sometimes they'll even say, okay, this is going to be really bad. He yeah. said, I don't even like just this. Go ahead acknowledge just acknowledge it up yeah, front. Yeah, just, yeah. But just do it. So, you know, you eat a lot. Of stuff. But one of the funniest stories I saw, there was so when you go to a village or you go to a place and the people are just so receptive, you yeah. know, they always just love on you. you know, yeah. You're there to help them. They understand that. Yeah. Uh, I was passing by... Um, so they, so they, we we're down the river. We we're on these little boats going to from one little community to another. And all of a sudden, we see another boat that like, looks like a Piro. It's right. a, one of the only places in the world that you think, hey, other than outside of Louisiana, where do they use Piros? In, in Brazil. In the Amazon. Amazon. Yeah. Wow. And uh, so this guy's got this Piro. And Anna, he's got a, a part of a cow. So they got the, a couple of these Piros tied together. And they've got a half a cow total that they're going to celebrate with us. And they've been yeah. floating it down the river for a day. And I'm oh, thinking, gosh. oh, my gosh. It's not on ice. It's not whatever. But anyway. Yeah, okay. So let's do it. Then they're processing it right out on the front porch. And yeah. um I'm walking by a guy and all of a sudden he pulls out. Now, don't get too squeamish on me. Yeah. He had uh pulled out a howler monkey that he had shot.
0: Mm, okay.
1: And he pointed. And yeah. he and right then we knew that he was that was his contribution Freaking for our monkey. yeah, for our <laughs> for our dinner. We were gonna have monkey that night. Yeah. So uh I don't know what parts I had. I just know they, don't even they cooked it, yeah. it on the grill. You yeah. just yeah, you just
0: eat it. It's just kind of what yeah. you do. Uh, I, one of my favorite meals I ever had, most unusual, was chicken feet. Oh, yeah. We went to a, a village in China, and we spent a day there. And the, the church and the church is all underground in China, yeah. uh, so they, they don't have a building. But we were able to worship with some of the believers, and they had a fellowship night. They, they called it the feast. So we all gathered at this one house. It was a very nice house and uh, we gathered and they had been saving all of the chicken feet for like the last three months that they had killed. They saved them for their guests because they knew we were coming. Well, when we heard there was a chicken feast, I'm thinking chicken breasts, chicken wings, you know. Yeah. Thinking,
1: barbecue.
0: Yeah, <laughs> barbecue. Hey, we're getting a chicken feast tonight, <laughs> man. I'm so excited about it. So when they set the, thing, the, the big tray on our table, and there was like eight of us to a table, and there was like maybe six or eight tables, they lifted the bamboo lid, and it was you know, hundreds of these little chicken feet, <laughs> you know, that they had fried and barbecued. And I just... And, and the host said, we saved these for you. I was yeah. Like, all right. Well, let's get busy then. So we ate every chicken foot on the platter, man. Yeah. There's probably because, much meat on there. Yeah. yeah we had to kind of <laughs> open the toes and eat between the toes, you know. Uh, but it was, you know, it it, it it tastes a lot like chicken.
1: Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. I think, the, you know, the benefit of, of all those missions trips, uh, you build so many unique relationships, even among the teams, you know. Yeah. You know, you know somebody really well after you've gone on a missions trip with them. Yeah. You've had to suffer through travel for you know sometimes 20, 30, 40 hours yeah. to get where you're going. When you're in close quarters and it's not the greatest of conditions, yeah. you know you're living. You know in Brazil, you sleep, you literally sleep in a hammock on the top deck of a boat yeah. for a week and a half. Nice. Um, you know you the you know outhouses that is you know the bathroom you bathe yeah. in the you know in the river you yeah. you you build relationships yeah. you know lifelong relationships that. you... Yeah. You, you you know you work together side by side probably harder than you've ever worked. Yeah, uh, you've seen things that. Yeah. Um, that you've never seen before happen, and you just those shared experiences. Yeah, yeah it's just it's it, it's just so beneficial. Yeah. Um, or there's just so many benefits in the short-term missions. Yeah,
0: and it builds a, a camaraderie yeah. among the believers that is just unspoken. You right. make an eye contact, yeah. and you can tell a whole story. Yeah. Remember that day on the boat, and it's all yeah. you gotta say. Man. Yeah. It's like, you know, did you take that plane uh, in Nicaragua from the uh, from the mainland to the Bluefields? Yeah,
1: yeah. Did little, you
0: get uh, sick that little tiny? Yeah. Oh,
1: yeah, it was horrible, gosh. and it's funny because they people were bringing their groceries. Somebody had two live chickens. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Hey, where there am were, I? You know, they, you know, in a big airplane, you know, you have please fast fasten your seatbelt. There were no seatbelts. Seat there was no none. You were just sitting on a box, and you're on this little plane that. Yeah, that was. Yeah. I got
0: so motion sick because I get motion sick <laughs> easy anyway. I'm on this plane and man, it's like it's, yeah. it's about to fall out of the sky at yeah. any moment. There's eight other people. It smells like you know yeah. chicken death. You know, it's just the whole thing's in there. It was like this is every worst you know uh, sensory <laughs> perception that could be possible. And man. I got sick and they didn't have any, um, you know, the little courtesy bags they oh, give yeah. it. Uh, oh, you. You no. just throw up in your hand. That's like, all <laughs> you Like, dude, out the window, man, out the window. Yeah. What are some of the, you know, modes of travel? I know oh, you've my. been down the yeah. Amazon on a boat. Any other, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, any other fun trips? Wow. That's
1: a good question. You know, when we went to the Philippines, you travel on those little jeepneys, those really brightly colored little bus type yeah. things, kind of rickshaws. Mm-hmm. Um, the, Were well,
0: they motorized or pulled? Well, the, the
1: ones in um, – um, actually, in India and in the Philippines, are little motorized ones. Yeah. You know, they would have the guy in the little motorcycle and had a back on it. It yeah. was so funny. Uh, the guy's driving it, and there's like seven or eight of us, and he just says, get on. And so we all have just like these handholds we're all on. Yeah. And we're going through the city, and all of a sudden we hit a hill. And then he just looks back, and he tell he just points, he says, two of you, get off. <laughs> and then he just goes up the hill, and I'm like, are you coming back? God. No, we had to go up to walk up the hill. How I'm did like, we dude, get there? You, you know, let me drive. You get off. You know, yeah. but it was so funny. But and then in China, so many different ways, trains, yeah. planes, automobiles You know, it's just Everything. that whole thing. And then, of course, the unique yeah, yeah. stuff that they have in each culture. And
0: uh, when we were in, in uh, Kampala... The main mode of transportation is the motorcycles. Yeah. And they call them bodas, boda boda, which is uh, English for border to border, but it, they became the name of the bike. It's called a boda boda So you can rent a boda bota and how many people will fit on a two seat oh, ridiculous. Sixteen?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean there's it's, people standing. Yeah, it's, it's
0: like a it's like a okay. show at uh, you know at Hollywood, you know, there's like people doing death defying stunts all the time.
1: Yeah. You know? yeah. India was the same way. You would wonder how can they get that many people on, <laughs> and they'd pile all out, and then there'd be th- three ladies with babies. It's like, why well, like, they were inside? Yeah, they looked like clown cars with so many people just dumping out and dumping they off. They would yeah, get off, was, and the babies were inside,
0: what well, the babies were yeah. safe. You yeah. know, yeah. So motorcycles and boats and airplanes yeah. and buses. You know, we took a trip to the Taj Mahal when I was in India. So we rented this van. You know, and it was, you know, basic motor metal sh- shell of a, it wasn't really a van. But we were, we piled into this van and we took the interstate to, yeah. uh, to Agra, which was a four-lane divided highway, the best highway in the area. They called it their interstate, you know. But while we were in the van, we were doing probably 60 miles an hour and we passed an elephant yeah, we passed exactly. a camel caravan. Yeah. You know, we passed trucks coming on the wrong way. Uh, yeah. Like, there's no rules. There's no yeah. in, in, entrance and exits. You know, every moment, your life's in your hand. You know, we drove four hours to get to Agra, where the Taj Mahal is, you know. And, you know, it's just really, you know, it's it's like watching Indiana Jones, you know, yeah. movie kind of unfold before you. Yeah,
1: it is. Yeah. yeah, it is crazy. So people ask you, yeah, aren't you afraid going to some of these places? Like, the only thing you're really afraid, the worst fear you ever get is when you're on the wo- on the roads yeah. in third world countries. It really is. Because there's yeah. no, I mean, everybody drives with their horn and they honk. And I guess they have their systems worked out. But for an American who's, you know, used to, you have your lane, I have my lane. We follow all the little traffic laws. Right. Um, there are no, there, you know, yeah. it is really transportation is probably the scariest thing that you even encounter. Even all the different places I've ever
0: been. Eight million uh, people in Kampala. Not one traffic light. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Not one. Yeah. yeah.
1: Philippines was the, one of the craziest places I, I you was You get to an right. intersection
0: and whoever has the most guts gets
1: yeah, exactly. to yeah. go. And they all have guts. Yeah. <laughs> they all
0: go. They all don't even care. They Every, all just, everybody, all just everybody, from. you know, is just fearless, man. You, you know, know? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't trade the memories I have and the spiritual formation that happened in my life in those trips for anything in the world. Now, they're not easy and they're not fun. Sometimes. They're, yeah. They're, Sometimes they're hard and right. they're, you know, they're grueling to the body. But the transformation that happens in the spirit, man, is just, you know, uh, un- unmeasurable, immeasurable. You know, all of our kids, my kids and your kids have had the chance to do foreign trips, man. And, you know, I've seen firsthand the impact that, you know, my daughters and sons have gone to foreign countries yeah. that it had on them. It's just, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, was it – um. Um, I can't remember. Mark Twain said, uh, uh, "Foreign travel always kills prejudice," you know, or something like that. It's, you know, it's it's the best cure to prejudice is yeah. to leave your leave your culture and go live in somebody else's, and it destroys right. our preconceived notions of, of other people. And what Paul said is really true. You know, in the kingdom of God, there's neither male nor female bond or free greek right. nor uh jew but we're all one in christ jesus and man yeah. that's the glory whether you're in africa or europe or china or the u.s or south america you know it's the kingdom right yeah
1: I, yeah i think that's true I, it, it's interesting you know we've had we've had an hour, almost an hour conversation and uh you know, you know, you get to see some of the sites that you've never seen. You know, I've been to Australia. You know, you right. see the Barrier Reef, yeah. you know, the, you, you, living on the Amazon, literally on the Amazon in the yeah. rainforest. People say, I always like to go to the rainforest. You know, you there. Yeah. Uh, you you know, we both walked on the Great Wall of China, Man. you know, numerous times. Yeah. Uh, you see, but those aren't the things that really stand out. Nope. You, you know, if some people think short-term missions is like a vacation. It's like uh, yeah. may, maybe it's the way some people do it. Yeah. it. It is, I don't know, but, yeah. I, you know, of all the things that I've ever done on a mission trip, and we've seen some incredible things. Yeah, you yeah. always walk away with the memories of the people. You do. You know, it's always that's always the primary. It's always the focus. It's a, what mm-hmm. you know. Who have I talked to about Jesus? Who have I shared Jesus with? And yeah. and the love of Christ. Yeah. That always makes the most difference. In it trumps life. everything else, yeah, man. Exactly. Yeah,
0: you're right. We've seen the Great Wall of China. We've been in the rainforest. You know, we've we've driven the Audubon. You know, we've we've seen you know the sights of the world. You know, and but it, they all pale in comparison right. yeah. to the relationships you develop with the people that you're with and those that you're there serving. Yeah. You know, it yeah. it makes us all remember that the true value of the earth is people. Right. Exactly. Well, yeah. That, that, that's all that really matters. All right, we're, we're going to wrap it up. So we talked about food. We talked about travel. Let's talk about sleeping accommodations. Which, uh, you got any good sleeping yeah, accommodation well, story?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, you stay in some of the <laughs> hotels. So I was in China, and um, kind of the story, like you said, when you were in uh, the Netherlands, yeah. and uh, I got a knock. I got a call on the phone. It's like 1, 2 in the morning and i get a call on the phone and um, and i can't understand this is chinese and i keep hearing the word massage and it was like i don't i don't know what this, i don't know what they're talking Wrong number. about and i you know i i don't know anything so i just hang up the phone cuz i have no idea what's going on the next thing you know like 3 minutes later i get a knock on the door and it's like oh my goodness what's going on i i open the door and there's a lady there yikes and it was you know immediately you realize like Oh, this is not good. This is not good at all. And
0: uh, this is not yeah. What so I closed
1: the door. I closed the door. I said, no, 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 no. I don't know what you were thought. I, yeah. I didn't say anything on the phone. I don't <laughs> even speak Chinese. So, I, but but you know, so that was very unique. That was yeah. the, one of the weird things that happened. But of course, you know, sleeping conditions. You know, you sleep in so many different. Places. Sometimes it's in people's homes. Uh, We slept, uh, of course, in Brazil. You sleep. I told you on a hammock, on a boat. We've slept in hammocks in their little huts because they really do live in dirt floor huts, and they string their hammocks uh, on a a central pole out to the wall. And so we've slept there. Uh, And you know, we slept in. You know, we slept in airports. Uh, You know, you just you just kind of do what you do. Some places are really good. Some places. Not so good. Super we were Bay. we were in Central
0: America one time, and they put us. Uh, we were building a uh, a church and a school, and they build everything out of this clay that has to be hoisted up with five gallon buckets. So once the first floor is done, they can move into it. But then you keep building the second and third floor, and you you're hoisting up five gallon buckets of. It looks like red clay, but it's, it's some kind of concrete, and you pour it. Uh, so they didn't have a place for us to sleep, so they put us out back. And what we found out later was the doghouse. You know, the dogs. They ran the dogs out, oh, wow. and they gave us the. They gave us cots, but every night we would get done, and it was back-breaking work, man. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. you had to live till you pulled a five-gallon bucket of concrete (laughs) all All day day, on a a rope. My hands were raw. I was thinking, I I need to go on a different line of occupation. (laughs) i got to get a job, do something. I'm laying there. So they said, it's time to eat. So they fed us a a tortilla soup, which was pretty good. it, It cooked one big pot of tortilla soup, and we all ate really good. And they took us out to our beds. And I remember laying down, and I pulled the... The blanket back that they'd given me is like a little, um, you know, hand-sewn blanket, and there were like ten thousand little black ants oh my goodness that were yeah. crawling I'm like am I not right Is it? he said just dust them off you'll be fine I was like, so we had to dust the ants off we yeah. went to bed about every three hours you get up and oh, you dust gosh. the ants off just to make sure uh, yeah. but he said next time you come you'll be able to stay in the new house they're so like <laughs> man I came too. I came on the trip too early yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I come back yeah, yeah. But, yeah. but you know we lived through it. Yeah, no, right. Exactly. It, it wasn't, you know, it didn't end our world, you know. And I, I just think, you know, th- those kind of memories, you know, even though while you're going through it's, you know, not pleasant, it does, you know, settle into your soul as a great memory, you yeah, know. It's like, it does. A, yeah. you know, I wouldn't trade it for anything else in the world, man. So, and I made friends along the way, Pastor Ken, of people that, you know, I will love forever, yeah. you know. Yeah, because it was born in fire. Right, know? exactly. You just you just connected to that person, man. Yeah. You know whether it's in down uh, the Amazon in Brazil or whether it's in a high rise in in China. You know, uh, I'm gonna tell one last story, and you can tell one last one too before we go, if you want to. But one last story that I want to tell is <clears throat> the first time I ever was invited to go on a foreign trip. I was 16 years old, and I was uh, I gotten saved in this little tiny. Country Pentecostal church, so I'm sitting in church that morning there's maybe thirty of us in the whole auditorium, uh, and the pastor gets up and introduces the guest speaker and the guest speaker that day was a guy who led uh, outreaches behind the Iron Curtain Now you and I both grew up right in the age of the Iron Curtain where right, co- communism dominated a third of the globe you know and this this man's ministry was he led short-term trips to smuggle Bibles behind the Iron Curtain. At that time, they were focusing on Russia. Uh, Russia was still uh, the USSR, you know. So at the church, he said, anybody interested in signing up for a trip, come see me at the church. Well, when they said amen, I went straight to him. And I said, hey, how do I go with you to the Iron Curtain, and he said, son, how old are you? And I said, I'm 16. He said, uh, you're too young. Come back and see me when you're 18. I said, what if my mom lets me go? I'm trying to talk him into it. <laughs> right. He said, why don't you go ask your mom, which he knew my mom would let me go to the Iron Curtain. So I went home that day after church. Mom, can I go to the, the Iron Curtain? She said, absolutely <laughs> not. But what happened that day when I heard that story, I knew. Yeah. That that was going to be a part of my life, you know, and I did get the chance, you know, when I was much older to smuggle Bibles behind uh, communist iron the Iron Curtain. You know, uh, it's a story I can't tell publicly because I'm going to put people in danger because this nation is still dominated by the communists. However, I just knew from that moment on that that, that the Great Commission was going to play a central part in my life. You want to close out with a story?
1: Um, well, you, 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 you know, you go to give. Uh, it, you know, when you go on a mission trip, that you know it's kind of the the motto of your life. I'm just going to give my life away. Um, so maybe I probably should. Well, okay, so I'll I'll get through it without crying because I'll just try to jump out of my emotions here. But we went to China. Never wanted to really go to China because yeah. it really wasn't my. I don't know. It just never kind of spoke to me. But I've had a friend that we went to college together that he was, um, he, he spent most of his life in China. And he invited us to come over. And so we took a trip and we went over to China and just to be with him. And, a, you know, we had about eight or 10 of us from the church that went. And uh, he worked at an orphanage. And when we went there, we got to see, of course, all the kids. And so I'm 49 at the time. You know, I've raised four kids. All my kid, I think my last child was in um, college at the time. He was about to graduate. And so we go to the orphanage and. We meet a little girl and God spoke to me mm-hmm. and said, if you will, you could be her dad. And oh, I thought, God. that's so crazy. Who, what, are you, what are you talking about? If, if, I, if I will, what does that mean? And so I, t- I told my friend, I said, hey, I think God said I could be her dad. He said, well, you can't do that, Ken. You can't come over and meet a child. You can't." There's a lot of things that he yeah. said you can't do. He said, I said, well, I don't know. I just know God did. Anyway, long story, really long story. God did so many incredible things. But 13 months later, we went over there and we adopted her. And now she's my fifth child, you know, so. but well, That's a great story yeah, to close out yeah, But, you know, but it's so crazy that, you know, it just change your life. You it know, does. going just to be a blessing and now, you know, God pulls right. back into your life. It's yeah, every just, time
0: I see Jing at church, man, I tell you, I have to hold back the tears because I know uh-huh. that what God did yeah. through, through you and Connie and in her life, that her life will never be the same because we've been to... China, we've seen what the living conditions are, especially of those orphanages, you know, and yeah. to know that God rescued her and that you are her dad. What did she call you for the first couple of years? What, well, Baba. Baba. She yeah. still calls you Baba?
1: Well, you know, most of the world we say Dad, Daddy, yeah. but yeah. Uh, the other half of the world is Baba. Yeah. Yeah. So, Bob, Ba, you know, yeah. all those different things. Right. Now she calls me Dad because it's, yeah. you know, all of her friends call her, her dad, their yeah. dad's dad. But, but she uh, was your Baba. You were her yeah. Baba. Right. Yeah. yeah. still so, are. But, uh, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, you never know. If you go on a trip, you, you, yeah. know, you may come back with a child. <laughs> uh, probably not. Probably not, but. Uh, you never know. You know yeah. Well, but, you
0: will sleep in some interesting places. Yeah. Exactly. You will drive some interesting forms of transportation, a ride in, and you'll eat some great food. And who knows what impact that God God will do in you and through you for so much of your life. Well, we've enjoyed our time together today. We hope you've enjoyed our stories. And this is Doug McAllister. Uh, This is Journey's podcast stories I didn't get to tell last Sunday. We hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see you next time.